If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 5, Episode 1. We're back, baby! My name is Tim Tro- I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello, kids! And we also have Hyman Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? It is going, Jaime. All right, well, we start off with some... We have a lot of stuff to cover, cover off today, so we'll start off with some fact check. So last, uh, the, if you remember... For those of you who can think back, like, what is it, six weeks now? Something like that. Um, the last episode of Strange New Worlds was a, uh, a retelling of A Balance of Terror, which we've talked about a number of times on last season's um, long season of us podcast. But, and first of all, so the fa- first fact check was that I had mentioned on the show that it was episode five of season one of the original series, but it wasn't. In fact, it was episode 14 of season one. And interestingly enough, um, I watched it again um, after after last week's episode, and just to sort of remind myself what the differences were between the last episode or the season finale of um, Stranger Worlds. Uh, Lawrence Montaigne uh, plays Decius. He's the uh, he plays the um, the sub commander that questions the commander of the of the Romulan ship, and it's actually he's the same actor who played Ston on a mock time. Oh. So, you know, these used to recycle a lot of actors back in those days, right? And um, Kirk, uh, how Kirk beats the Romulans is he stays just out of range of their weaponry so that, that he kind of wears them down as, as he's chasing them through back into the neutral zone towards Romulan space. And that's how he ends up defeating Mark Leonard, who went on to play uh, Sarek. Uh, he plays the Romulan commander in the original Balance Terror. Hmm. All right. So, yeah, so we'll move on to our uh, our headlines, and uh, JPK is up first. Yeah, so while we were on our little summer hiatus, uh, unfortunately, we had the passing of a Star Trek legend, uh, Nichelle Nichols, who of course played uh, Uhura in the original series and of course the films, and was sort of this, uh, you know, long-lived representation in pop culture of uh, this not only Star Trek icon, but black icon. Uh, she passed away at the age of 89 this summer, and uh, she definitely got a lot of love and respect uh, in, in her passing. Uh, you know, so many people acknowledging, obviously, you know, her impact on pop culture. You know, so many people, you know, young black women who, you know, she influenced and 
And so many people, you know, being the first interracial kiss on television, you know, she was a, a real trailblazer and was, you know, uh, so highly respected. And uh, yeah, it was nice to see her, you know, uh, obviously it's never, never easy to see these legends pass, but to, to see her go and have so many people take the time to acknowledge what an impact she had and, and just how indelible a mark she left on, on society as well as pop culture. It was, it was kind of nice to sort of have this, this outpouring of love for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even, even black um, African-American astronauts were saying that she inspired them to go into the space program. Yeah. Male and female. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And she was, uh, you know, it's funny, all the little stories that come out, but I know one of the ones I had heard before, but was, you know, definitely repeated during her, her, uh, the week after her passing was talking about how she, yeah, she was instrumental in, in, you know, being an advocate for the space program. And she definitely did uh, a lot beyond obviously just being a a black face on, on this program. She really uh, embodied for a lot of people, this, this trailblazer, this this groundbreaker and, and including, yeah, as you say, the real astronauts who, you know, said they wanted to go into space because they saw Uhura on the bridge of the enterprise. That's, that's, that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she also encouraged them too. like, I think she knew she worked with NASA a lot Mm -hmm. on, on the recruitment program. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, speaking of Star Trek, let's throw over to Jaime, I think, who's got some Star Trek news for us. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of things, but the first link we have here in the show notes, those of you transporting at home, is a, a twofer. So you got uh, the teaser for Star Trek Picard Season 3 with a whole bunch of cast members from TNG. Um, seems, seems pretty cool there. And also the... Um, Strange New Worlds crossover with Lower Decks, which is not in the direction you would expect. It's not uh, animated versions of, of Pike. My understanding it is real-life versions of the Lower Deckers by uh, their, their actual actors. So that's uh, two, a, a twofer in this link. Did you, did you all see this, this uh, combined set of news? Yeah, it, it's interesting, but I wonder how they're going to... Like, some of it, I guess, it makes sense. You know, if you look at, you know... A couple of the actors, you're like, oh, okay, I, I can see it. And a few of them, you're like, okay. But yeah, they were on they were on that Star Trek day too. Like um, Tony Newsom and uh, a few other people were sort of playing the roles of guest hosts and kind of just kind of taking over the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, the guy who plays Boeing Learner, which I can't remember, Quaid. Yeah, uh, Jack Quaid. He kind of looks like, uh, you know. Boimler and Tony Newsom obviously looks like like Beckett, but uh, Tendi is a bit of a stretch, and and I don't know who, yeah, and the the guy who plays uh, Rutherford, I'm not sure, I not sure, don't know if I know what he looks like. Yeah, it's um, Cordero. Yeah, he um, he is black, but does not look, I would say, quite the same body type as um, Rutherford. So again, it'll be interesting to see how they how they make this happen. Yeah, well, it's like the 3D episode of The Simpsons, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, I think we joked about it maybe a season or two back, saying, wouldn't it be hilarious if they crossed over some of these, now that there's so many different shows. I don't think this is the one we saw coming, but fun that they are. Yeah, it's it's one where they really should have come out and said, it's a crossover between Star Trek Strange New World and Star Trek Lower Decks, but not where you'd expect it. (laughs) <laughs> that's the deepest of cuts for uh for, for she hulk would have been great but it's there not the same not the same properties folks so that's why they didn't do it but that's how i would have done it well this episode is now worth the price of admission just to hear jaime do that bit <laughs> well done sir well done 
what else did we get from Star Trek Day and all the news around that? Oh yeah, so yeah, it's the so we got the first trailer for Star Trek Picard season three, the final season, and we knew that we were getting the TNG cast back, but to actually see them now in the trailer and sort of get a little hint of of uh, where it's going was kind of cool. Again, it was a teaser, really, did not not a lot of detail, but but uh, yeah, cool to see the characters back. You know, it's, uh, silver hair abundant, but um, except for Jordy LaForge, uh, because Lavar Burton is aging stunningly well. But um, yeah, very cool to get that little little taste of of Picard coming up. We also got news that they've added a new cast member to uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Um, we knew that we were going to get some changes because there was a bit of a turnover at the end of the last season. But we got news that the, um, the uh, acclaimed performer, Carol Kane, is going to join the cast as a recurring uh, role of the new chief engineer, Pelia. Um, so that's kind of neat. Cool. Um, for those who are not familiar with Carol Kane, uh, if you've seen uh, probably the most pop culturally relevant role she has is as the old woman in uh, in Princess Bride, uh, who is married to Billy Crystal's uh, Magic Mac, Magic Mac, Magical Mac. I can't remember what it's called, but uh, yeah, it's um, it's kind of a neat casting bit of news. And the other thing that they announced as part of Star Trek Day that was really sort of of note for us is that uh, we're going we've got a start date for the the new episodes of Star Trek Prodigy. So obviously that ended on a bit of a uh, what's going to happen next. And so we know we're going to get our mid-season return for that on Thursday, October 27th on Paramount Plus or Rave. Yeah, that one's a weird one because it's not like a season two. It's just the rest of season one. Yeah, and it did kind of leave on a bit of a what, where do they go from here kind of deal. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they pick it up and how it goes. What have we got in Star Wars news there, John? It's- Star Wars news, yeah. Last weekend for us was also D23, the big uh, Disney convention that uh, brought us all kinds of Star Wars news. We got a uh, another full trailer for uh, Andor. We got another bit of trailer for The Mandalorian. Um, we got news about The Bad Batch. We now have a, a release date for Bad Batch, which is coming on January 4th, 2023. I mean, we got our first look at the Star Wars Tales of the Jedi series, which they had pre- previously announced, but we didn't really know uh, sort of what form it was going to take. And um, it's a series of shorts, and it's six animated short films based around the stories of Ahsoka Tano and uh, the rise and fall of Count Dooku. And uh, we know that it's coming now on October 26th on Disney+. And the trailer looks really cool i must admit i'm i wasn't sure what to make of this but now i am way in on this it looks really good yeah it's and, kind of interesting to see I, I i don't even know if we can call him count dooku is he is he viscount or perhaps a, a merely baron dooku because i don't know how that uh, really works for him but he's a, a much younger dooku in the tales of the jedi stuff but to see him in his in his prime yeah and we through the course of clone wars and and uh some of the other you know bits of lore we knew sort of that he was this sort of, you know, he, he is a genuine count on his world. And we knew that he sort of had this, you know, rise to, to you know, the heights of the Jedi Order and then this great fall. But to see that come out and actually watch it sort of unfold and get that shown on uh, in cartoon form is really cool. I'm excited about that one. Um, also mixed in there, they, they, you know, threw us a little bit of extra news. We got um, a little bit of extra news about Skeleton Crew. They showed the, the whole cast. They talked about how... Um, you know uh, how that one's coming together so that's kind of cool we um 
got a little bit more detail on the Ahsoka series. They apparently showed a trailer there, but have not made that public yet. But that showed uh, um, uh, Ezra Bridger. They've cast a new uh, actor named Iman Esfandi to be to be Ezra Bridger from the Rebels series is going to be in that. Uh, Hayden Christensen is apparently going to appear as Anakin again in the Ahsoka series. And um, they showed footage of Natasha Liu Bordizo as Sabrine Wren, who's, of course, uh, a Mandalorian in the Rebel series. So um, it's now becoming pretty clear that that uh, Rebels has become essential watching if you're going to if you're going to get into the Ahsoka series, because it looks like it's essentially Rebels Part 2. It's a sequel almost. It's, it's sort of uh, the series. Spoiler, spoiler, spoilers. The series ends with Ezra disappearing into space. And this series seems like it's built around. The, the search for Ezra. So, yeah, pretty cool. Did uh, did you all really think anything much about the... So, Andor was delayed, right, from August 31st to September 21st. And they seem to have said, just pack all of those episodes into one premiere. So it's a three-episode premiere that might be... Yeah, and, and I don't know how long these episodes are. Maybe, I don't know if they've stated if they're closer to half an hour or closer to an hour, but that's uh, that's quite the premiere night. It's, uh, it's a lot of watching for the first well, and these things are short. They're only six episodes long, right? I think that seems to be the pattern with a lot, even... Andor, I believe, shows. is longer. Let me just have a quick look. But I know Andor, they said there was going to be a lot of episodes. So more than just the six or eight? You think it's... Yeah, uh, I think it's something... Yeah, it's 12. And they've already said they've announced a second season. So it's 12 for the first and 12 for the second. So that's more, definitely more than we've seen for any of the Marvel Star Wars series. There we go. I guess it depends on, as you say, the episode lengths. But, um, but yeah, that's that's a that's a change for sure. Because even with even if they're dropping the first three on the first day, that means you're still going to get ten weeks of it. Yeah, yeah. Wow, well, it's, uh, quite a bit. The the more recent trailers that I've been seeing on TV have have been a lot more um, entertaining. The the first look that happened some weeks ago was like not the best one. It was just a couple guys talking in a room and you don't really know what's going on. Whereas I think the more recent ones are giving you the feel of like, here's a guy that needs to be convinced to to help the resistance here and kind of also points out the hypocrisy of some of the dirty stuff they have to do ostensibly for good reasons. So seems, seems cool. Yeah. I, I still say, you know, if you take uh, a better call Saul as an approach, I think it's totally doable with the Endor character. He doesn't have to be who we saw in Rogue One uh, at the beginning of Rogue One. He could be a much different person. Yeah, and Diego Luna was really captivating. He was probably the most interesting part of of Rogue One. That that sort of I'm okay with being the bad guy on the good team character that he played in, in Rogue One. I think exploring that is is a smart move. But I think it's going to be interesting too. you know, we talked about this as the the ever pervasive prequel problem. We know he does not die. We know that Mon Mothma does not die. How do they how do they raise the stakes? You know, as the same issue we just had with the Obi-Wan series we watched over the summer. We knew certain characters were going to make it out one way or the other. How do they continue to uh, keep us feeling invested and thrilled when we know what the outcome for these characters is? Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. They're going to do the uh, the actual Better Call Saul method where it's like, you know, half of each episode for Andor is, you know, prior to Rogue One. And then it goes into black and white and it's the second half of the episode that's where he's at in the future. Except, except we know where screen. he is in the future. <laughs> yeah, we know where he is in the future, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so also from D23, we got a nice update on the state of things from Marvel. And it kind of just piggybacked off of, um, you know, the, the best of the stuff kind of came out at San Diego Comic-Con. And, and Jaime will recap that for us in a minute. So I'll just do a quick uh, rundown of, of the stuff we got from D23, which is uh, we got the trailer for Werewolf by Night, which is a one-off uh, episode coming on October 7th to Disney+. Plus. I was not, I've never been impressed by this character. I'm not impressed by this trailer. Of all the things that Marvel's done over the years, this is the thing I'm probably the least interested in. Um, maybe it's better than, it, like, Disney and Marvel always tend to do a good job on the Marvel stuff, so I'm, maybe it'll be better than I think, but I gotta admit, I'm not, I'm not loving what I've seen so far. Uh, they also officially confirmed after announcing at um, Comic-Con that we were going to get a Thunderbolts movie. They introduced the full lineup for the Thunderbolts for uh, who was actually going to be in it, which was kind of neat. So, you know, we, we saw that it's going to be Bucky Barnes, uh, Yelena Belova. So that's the new Black Widow, uh, the Red Guardian from the Black Widow movie, U.S. Agent from Captain America, or from, well, from, from uh, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Taskmaster from Black Widow, Ghost from, uh, from Ant-Man and the Wasp, and uh, Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, which is the Julia Louis-Dreyfus character we've seen popping up as a recurring character. So that was kind of neat. Um, some more sort of quick casting news. They showed us a trailer for Secret Invasion. Uh, that was kind of neat. So we, we know that that one's focused around Samuel L. Jackson and the Skrulls infiltrating Earth. Uh, we saw that um, some of the characters like uh, Maria Hill, played by Kobe Smulders, is coming back. Everett Ross, which is Martin Freeman's character from Black Panther, is coming back. Uh, Talos, which was Ben Mendelsohn's character from Captain Marvel's in the trailer. Uh, Rhodey, uh, the uh, War Machine, is John Cheadle, is coming back. Um, and we also saw some new faces. We saw uh, Amelia Clark, of course, Daenerys from Game of Thrones is in it. And we saw Olivia Coleman, of course, who's multiple time Oscar winning Best Actress, is in it as well, like Bravo Marvel. Um, they teased a couple more casting things. We saw that, uh, Kehi Kwan is joining the cast of Loki. Uh, he is most recently was in everything everywhere all at once, but probably best known as short round from the Indiana Jones movies and data from the Goonies. Uh, so glad to see him re reviving his career. He said he felt kind of, uh, jaded and, and sort of, uh, unofficially blacklisted after, uh, for, for being Asian. So to see his career starting to sort of gain momentum again is is amazing. Um, and yeah, that's sort of the biggest stuff that came out of it. Uh, Jaime, do you want to go back to where we were over the summer and the, the big stuff that dropped at Comic-Con? Yeah. Um, first one is the, the new Daredevil series for Disney+. Plus. Uh, what is it called? Daredevil Born Again. New series coming out in the spring of, uh, oh, of 24, 2024. So going to have to wait a while. But spoilers for later in this episode, they, they kind of teased a little bit more of that. Uh, in the in the She-Hulk series, but yeah, uh, that that'll that'll be exciting. So they're you know way long ago we wondered what was going to happen with this whole Netflix thing and all these Netflix heroes, and at least uh, at least a few of them are coming over so far. Yeah, they're 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 getting past all the rights issues. Yeah, since they announced that, they've kind of gone out of their way to make a point that they're reviving Daredevil. But the reason I think they're using that Born Again moniker, which is which is a series um, uh, sort of storyline in the comic books is because they kind of are saying that it's it's more of a season one than a season four like they're not really saying that it's going to pick up from where they left off it's more like it is born again it's 
it's Charlie Cox, it's Vincent D'Onofrio, it's it's reviving the characters and stuff, but it sounds like they're kind of treating it like a season one. And in doing that, they're also pointing out that for the first little bit, he's going to be wearing his 1960s debut gold and black costume, too. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. It, I wonder how separate it will be uh, in how they're doing things. Uh, there has been precedence for this with um, um, uh, the Orville, which had like technically a third season, but really not a third season. It's kind of a first season of a previously existing series kind of thing when it moved from Fox to Hulu. So I wonder if they're they're doing that sort of weird thing as well. Like if you go into Hulu here in the states, uh, and I don't know what it does on Disney Plus in other areas, um, it literally shows you know season one, season two of of the Orville, and then what should be the third season is uh, uh, New Horizon. Weird. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a soft reboot or or something. Again, I'll, I'll be really curious to see how they decide to approach it because one of the hallmarks of the the Disney uh, versus the Netflix take on the characters is that the Netflix stuff was pretty dark and grim and bloody and you know the characters that they chose to to highlight had very very big flaws in you know the Daredevil character Punisher Jessica Jones Iron Man uh, um, Power Man uh, or Luke Cage is, is what they call them there um, I, it'll be interesting to see how they do or do not Disneyfy them for this audience that's a little different Especially given that they brought those series over to the streaming service. Yeah, yeah. Keep it gritty. Get some blood on the Mickey Mouse t-shirt. <laughs> Let people know <laughs> that you are not willing to uh, to pull any punches. You're going all in on it. Just to assuage people's concerns right there in the first episode. Yeah, I mean, I loved the, the Daredevil series. I think it was incredible television. And, and I'm hopeful. I mean, I love Charlie Cox. I love Vincent D'Onofrio. I hope that they do continue to to let those actors cook uh so i'm a little concerned but then also as i say i mean marvel seems to have a real sense of what it wants to do with these characters so i'm also hopeful that they'll find a way to sort of have it both ways yeah yeah uh next one up is the uh the first trailer for black panther wakanda forever which also includes uh some some namor action as well as uh what atlantis is like atlantis getting a like a Mayan Aztec kind of look and feel to their their whole look. Do you all uh, y'all see this? Yeah, it was very cool. It was uh, that was one of the best trailers I think I've ever seen. Like the music, the pace, the the stuff they chose to highlight. Like as far as a teaser goes, that didn't really get into plot, but was really just sort of teaser. It was it was really well done. Yeah, it does it does get you pretty hyped up. I'm not sure. I still am curious, especially after watching that first trailer. The part that I think all of us are sort of on the edge of our seats waiting for is how do they deal with not having T'Challa as the Black Panther in a Black Panther movie? I, you know, do they do they kill him off screen? Does he go off to live on Mars? And, you know, like, I just I don't know how they're going to do that. You know, was there enough time before Chadwick Boseman's death that he was able to record some dialogue that they could have? Uh, you know, a CGI Black Panther speak. I, I, I'm really, I'm really curious as to how they're going to do it. I mean, it seems like they're treating this with the utmost reverence. All the people involved have all said the right things about Chadwick and and honoring the legacy and everything else. But how do you have a Black Panther movie without a Black Panther? Uh, or, and you know, yeah, they've already said they're not going to recast T'Challa. It would make logical sense if 
as a result of this movie, there is a new Black Panther, whether that's his sister Shuri or another character. But I'll be really curious to see how they how they stick handle this. Again, beautiful trailer, amazing cast. We know Ryan Coogler is a genius as a director. All the ingredients are there to be an incredible film. But how do you tell a Black Panther story without the Black Panther? I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know why they just they don't just have like like Batman. We've had what five Batmans already. Like, and notwithstanding you know visible nipples, we we don't have any problems with changing actors in a in a particular role, right? I think so. just I, given the fact that the circumstances is so different, that was about recasting and and sort of rebooting the idea. I guess that Chadwick just died so tragically at such a young age. I guess they feel like that was his role, and they don't want to they don't want to you know, take it away from him in any way, shape or form. Retiring his jersey kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, But I mean, I mean, by that same token, and maybe it's just the proximity of time too, Tim. Like, you you know, we had Heath Ledger play the Joker. He won an Oscar for it posthumously. Everyone acknowledges that that's the best performance we've ever seen of somebody as a Joker. Sorry, Joaquin Phoenix. But, you know, as with all things, we've had two other very high profile actors take that role since then, one of whom, Joaquin Phoenix, won an Oscar for that role. Uh, maybe it's just in that case, there was enough time for people to sort of accept that somebody else could be that. And it isn't really the same role in that the way, like, it's not the same sort of movie series. Yeah, it's not the same story. Yeah. yeah it's not the same story. Definitely. So, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a different circumstance, but yeah, I mean, it would have been an, a really hard ask of any actor to come back and and try and be Chadwick Boseman's character, but yeah, mm-hmm. I just I'm 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 absolutely fascinated with how they're going to have this movie wrap and wrap up and reconcile all that. Yeah, remains to be seen. And speaking of Marvel movies, yeah, yeah, we got Phase Five and Phase Six for Phase Five. I'm going to try to run through things um, first, and then we can do the the commentary. Uh, just to sort of catch the highlights. So starting things out is uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, coming theaters, uh, what is that, February 17th, 2023. You'll have the uh, Secret Invasion um, show, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, in spring 2023. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, debuting on May 5th of 2023. A trio of things in the summer. We've got the Marvels movie. You've got uh, the Echo series, and you have season two of Loki. In the fall of 2023, you've got the Ironheart series, a uh, interesting one in the winter of Agatha, Coven of Chaos. The next Captain America movie is on May, tw- May 3rd of 2024. That is Captain America New World Order. We talked about Daredevil Born Again coming out as a series in spring of 2024. And we also talked about Thunderbolts coming out on July 26, 2024. That's a lot. That's a yeah, lot they're not messing around, movie. are they? Not at all. Not at all. Um, I am unclear from Ant-Man and the Wasp, and you all can't see this this poster, but you see Ant-Man, you see the Wasp, and I'm going to assume this person is Quantum Mania because I have no clue who the person <laughs> is in the purple. This <laughs> process of elimination uh, here. So uh, <clears throat> that is Cassie Lang. That's his daughter. Hmm. There we go. So we knew that uh, because a lot of the characters, obviously, it's five years later, it's supposed to be after the, the blip and everybody comes back. Uh, and we saw in uh, Avengers Endgame that uh, Cassie is now a young woman and not a little girl anymore. And so, yes, Cassie will be coming um, 
I'm not sure if they've identified which iteration of Cassie. Cassie has been a Marvel Comics character for a very long time. Again, just like in the, the movie, started as a little girl and then became a young woman. And as a young woman, she uh, adopted her father's uh, powers and has had a couple of different identities, both shrinking and growing. So it'll be interesting to see which, uh, which character they, they're... Uh, going to make her but she is part of the family now so she there's three of them not just two of them right the villain for this is is kang uh which you can see in the trailer the background of the um uh the photo that they've released as well yeah a, a kang at the very least right with the whole multiverse yep. thing going on that uh and and like the i forget is he time travel or is he just long lived i can't remember why he keeps showing up in the comics multiple times well there's a couple of different Things yes, one he's a time traveler. Uh, he's had multiple iterations from ancient Egypt straight through to the far far future uh, as as Ramatut, as Immortus, and as Kang. And then now, because of the fracture in the multiverse, there's also multiple versions of him across time, wherein he is all these different things. And I think that's where we're going to really start to get a little bit more of the the multiversal kind of uh, aspect of Kang and understanding that he is not one person; he is many persons. The other one that I, I wish I knew more of what's going to happen here is the Ironheart series. Because um, mm-hmm. in the comic books, that's like a, like a, 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 like a protege she is of, of Tony Stark. But Tony Stark is yes. not alive anymore in the MCU. So a little curious how they're going to handle that. And also very curious about the casting for this. Yeah, it's more about legacy, I think, in this case. It's about somebody who decides to uh, sort of also construct her own set of armor and sort of carry on the legacy. So I think that's the idea. And they, they did identify as part of the conversation, um, both between Comic-Con in, in July and then D23 um, recently, that Ironheart, uh, or, or Riri is the character's name, is going to be one of the primary characters that, uh, that is important to what they're doing in the, uh, in the MCU in, during this Phase 5. So... It's not like she's just sort of a, a one-off, you know, let's see how she floats kind of character. Sounds like they've got a lot of stuff built around. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had any Iron Man armor type stuff hanging around. So I do know that Don Cheadle was around for, um, we just said it, what was it? Um, the Armor Wars or Armor something? Armor Wars, yeah. We, we had had that announcement as well, but now it's, uh, yeah, it's starting to get a little more clarity on that too. Yeah, that's, uh, that's phase five. Anything, any last words before we go to phase six? I think phase five sounds good, but phase six sounds unbelievable. So let's jump into that. Yeah. So there's um, only a handful of things, but but to your point, some pretty large ones. So coming out on November 28th, 2024 is the Fantastic Four movie. And then in May of 2025 is Avengers, the Kang Dynasty or Dynasty, if you prefer. And on uh, November 7th, 2025 is Avengers Secret Wars. Sounds like there's a lot of good stuff there. So Fantastic Four, is that a new thing? I don't think I've ever heard of Fantastic Four before. Never have they made a movie that might <laughs> besmirch the, the long, proud legacy of the Fantastic Four comics. You're right, Tim, you're right. Yeah, hopefully they yep. do. Uh, honestly, as, as much as uh, people are excited about the potential casting and, and the Fantastic Four obviously being done by Marvel Studios versus, as, you, as, as Tim alluded to, Fox Studios doing it back in the day. Uh, the part, Twice. The part that kind of sticks in Micron always has, and I think it has for a lot of fans, is Doctor Doom is one of the most compelling villains 
when done right, I've ever had an opportunity to read. So many good writers over the years have done such amazing things with this very complex character. And the movie version of him is an atrocity. So I really hope that that what we get coming forward out of this too is uh, hopefully over the course of time, we'll get a really good, true Doctor Doom. Yeah. Well, if they mess up, they can always do a fourth version of Fantastic Four and call it Fantastic Four Four. <laughs> well, and <laughs> the the Secret Wars thing is really interesting too. So there's been two major events in, in Marvel history with the name Secret Wars. The, the Secret Wars that happened in the 1980s was a crossover, a 12-issue crossover event where the, basically a large number of the heroes and villains from Earth were kidnapped by this sort of uh, omnipotent being called the Beyonder, brought to this world and told to basically fight to the death, and then whoever was winning at the end will be given sort of this ultimate prize. Uh, it was a great thing. It was a good opportunity. It was really kind of a sales tool. They were trying to sell toys. But it was a really good story, and it also spawned some important moments, like uh, the change of Spider-Man's costume from the classic red and blue into the black and white, which eventually became Venom, and introduced new characters like Titania, who we are now seeing in the new She-Hulk series. And uh, it, was, it was a real sort of milestone book. But that being said, I don't think that's the interpretation they're taking. I think they're taking the interpretation from the series that was just a few years back. Uh, written by Jonathan Hickman, Secret Wars, which was really similar concept, but basically what it was was about, uh, like DC's Crisis on Infinite Earth, it's about condensing and combining all the universes into one. So Marvel at that point had multiple universes. Miles Morales, for example, lived in a completely different, on a completely different uh, dimension or or, uh, or universe than Peter Parker. And this was their way of basically amalgamating it so they could basically take the best from different universes and combine them into one world so that you could have both Spider-Man uh, characters in the one universe and everything else. So the idea that this sort of culmination of Phase 6 is wrapping up with Secret Wars seems to me like what we're talking about is taking all of the X-Men, Fantastic Four, all of these other properties that have been sort of existing in parallel and condensing them into one. So it is an opportunity, not unlike Endgame or not unlike um, Spider-Man No Way Home, to overlap a ton of characters from over the years, different iterations from all over the place, like really do it up. This could be, if this is the way they're intending it, could be the single largest assemblage of movie actors ever put together. Like, a-list beyond A-list of, of people who played all these characters over the year. Cool. Well, that's cool. Hey, I mean, what's happening with Batgirl? Well, Batgirl is just a bellwether here. Um, while we were on hiatus in between seasons, HBO, in its grand wisdom, has decided that it's going to merge its uh, HBO Max and Discovery Plus services together. Uh, a strange, Ooh. A strange Ooh. move just from the outset, but it sounded like We'll take HBO content and we'll put it on the apparently superior Discovery Plus uh, technology, which as an HBO Max subscriber, I'm like, there's nowhere to go but up. But So I believe you that it will be better because HBO Max is, from a technology standpoint, absolute garbage on every device that I own. So I, I at least look forward to the tech side. But the unfortunate thing is that they canceled so many things that it 
almost as if they said, what if we had a streaming service without any content? <laughs> now, how much would you pay? <laughs> so right. the big one is the $90 million uh, Batgirl movie. But like half the things that we talked about uh, several months ago, they canceled like Batman animated stuff and, and so on and so on. Like they canceled so much. And yet just uh, just this weekend, this, earlier this week, uh, they won like a bazillion Emmys for, you know, other things like Succession and uh, uh, Euphoria. So it's like, you know, more more sex, more teenagers, more teenagers having sex apparently is going to have to be the plan because they don't have any they don't have any uh, uh, DC stuff. It's so weird. It's really weird. And it's weird because and, and tying it into the, the story that I'm going to mention next, which I can just wrap into here, which is to say. The Flash is ending on CW as well. They're essentially killing off all the CW uh, DC stuff too. So they basically have made a proclamation. I guess the new head of HBO has made a proclamation basically saying uh, the only place we want DC content now is in the movie theaters. And so it's a really strange move. And we're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop on a few other things you mentioned, like Jaime um, Doom Patrol. They still don't know what's going to happen with that. There's a few things that are sort of in limbo right now. but. Yeah, what a what a strange decision process. And $90 million, the reason they decided to can it is because apparently they can get a tax savings if they kill it. But part of that decision is that it can never be aired anywhere at any time under any circumstances in order to get that tax write down. And if they do eventually air it, they don't get the write down. They have to pay it back. It's like 30 million bucks. So this isn't messing around time. Like they are like basically destroying all copies of this thing. And this was the one that was supposed to have Michael Keaton returning as as Batman. And, you know, it did not sound like a terrible movie. So wait, they lose if they show this, they're going to lose their tax credit. Yes. So the, <clears throat> the reason was because of the merger, they were allowed to take a one time write down on certain uh, projects and, and assets oh, okay, because right. of the merger. Mm. And so the way that it worked was they spent 90 million bucks on this, but they, they could get a $30 million tax savings if they killed it now before it airs. And I guess they watched it and said, it's too small to be a movie in the theater and it's too big to be something that we want to air on HBO Max. And we'd never make our 90 million bucks back. We'd rather just get our 30 million bucks back. So they sank it. And it's so, I mean, if you were an artist... In any kind of capacity working in film, whether you're an actor, a director, a producer, uh, a craftsperson who works on creating set design or uh, computer-generated imagery or anything, how would you feel about working with HBO slash DC slash, uh, you know, Discovery now, knowing that you could put your all your effort into these things and have them just say, it will never see the light of day? Yeah, that happens a lot in, in other industries too, though, so... Hard to say, you, but you're right. I, I think I would be a little. I mean, imagine the the girl who's playing Batgirl. Like yeah, she, like this probably was her big break. Right? Well, and there was a big backlash on that as well because she is also uh, black. They were casting a character right. who was it was meant yeah. to sort of break out of of the routine of of all previous Batgirls had been Caucasian. But is she the one that was in the TV show? Or I don't recall. I think she might be the hmm. same character that was in. Um, the Harley Quinn movie, but I, I got to admit, I wasn't really invested because I had a bad feeling about all of this stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 just a mess from top to bottom. And and 
it's not just as as Jaime points out. It's not just this. They they killed the the cartoon series that they were supposed to be working on. They they've. I don't understand the from a programming strategy what they're trying to accomplish. Like why do it this way? It sounds like a mess. Yeah, it is the complete opposite of what Disney's got with the Marvel stuff, where it's like how much content they're planning out to. What what, what was the latest year? So 2025. We said of just like. You know, banger after banger after banger, just hitting, you know, the airwaves or, or hitting the theaters. Um, and these guys are like sitting on a, a gold mine of, of decades of comet content and really well recognized, well loved characters. And just like, no, nah, don't don't put it on the streaming service. Let's let's just keep it in theaters. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> Why? Well, and the reputation in the theaters has not exactly been glowing the last number of years either, right? Like their their yeah. theatrical releases aren't exactly selling like hotcakes. You know, we talk about you know the sort of you know Wonder Woman one and Aquaman Aquaman one. There really has not been a lot of love for their work. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a strange strategy for sure. Yeah, stay tuned, kids. So, uh, so this is the part of the show or part of this show where we talk about the things that are coming out that are Star Trek shaped or kind and that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, we've been off for a few weeks, so we've, we've actually had four episodes of the Star Trek Lower Decks season three roll by. And, uh, so we're just going to sort of hit the high points of those, of the shows. So, um, I'm trying to remember now, I just, I just watched the episode today about, uh, about the, the race to, uh, you know, get the, the, the room that's not on on the lower deck on deck they think it was on deck one but they they turns out spoilers it's not um so and going back over the four episodes what can we remember about those what do you guys got to say about them well episode one was the one that was basically a pickup from the way that season two ended which was captain freeman was busted being arrested yeah, right, so she yeah, was accused yeah. of destroying the Packlid planet, and she was going to go on trial. And so it was basically our four heroes, uh, Boimler, Mariner, uh, Rutherford, and Tendi, trying to figure out a way to uh, clear her name. And so that episode was it was not the funniest of the bunch, although the appearance by uh, of Zephyr and Cochran and uh, in, in using the... Uh, the, the amusement park ride at the uh, site of his uh, historic launch to find their way into space was pretty funny. Um, yeah, but that was, that was the sort of, that was the trope of um, stealing the Excelsior kind of thing or, yeah. or you yeah. know, the, the, the original crew goes and the, that Star Trek trope where, you know, like they have to solve this problem. They've all been grounded or somebody has been grounded or, you know, Kirk gets his admiralty taken away from him. So they steal a ship and they, fly off to save Spock or something like that. So the same sort of idea that this time they're saving uh, um, Captain Freeman, right? Yeah. So, and of course, Freeman, that one has Freeman, the, right? the hilarious twist where at the very beginning, uh, a Mariner's dad says, you know, just let the process play out. It's going to be fine. And of course, the, the punchline to the whole joke is that in the end, everything they do to try and go and steal the ship and, and clear Freeman's name turns out to be for naught because... Of course, it's all solved at a much higher level than they're privy to, which was very, very funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And is it just me, but does Zephyrin Cochran's ship look kind of phallic in this, <laughs> show, this iteration? I mean, it was supposed to be an intercontinental ballistic missile that had been repurposed. Oh, right? yes. So right. that's yeah, kind it of... It's probably one of Elon Musk's you know, reworked <laughs> machines, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Is it, no, it's Jeff I was going to say, I think it was the Bezos uh, ph- phallus yeah. rocket, yes. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what was the second episode of, of the season? Second episode was the uh, the least dangerous game. That was the one where uh, they started playing the, the Klingon role-playing game. Oh, yes. And the then talk, yeah. Boimler decides that uh, he's he's sort of stuck in a rut, so he decides he's going to say yes to everything, and he agrees to be the... Uh, the hunt, mm. the hunted by this like monstrous looking predator esque character called Kranik. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's the, the role reversal part of that too, where, uh, Ransom and Mariner decide to be engineers because Ransom's trying to prove a point and they send, uh, the, the chief engineer in Rutherford down to the planet to be ambassadors and they're going to get sacrificed for showing, not showing their belly buttons. Yeah. Yeah. They had a lot of interesting callbacks to like what was it like volcano god uh baby and uh an psychic evil computer. baby leader and evil computer yeah 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 and the the star trek 2009 uh you know uh, parachute jump that uh, yeah that has to be yeah. done twice <laughs> yeah. she yeah. went rogue and said oh crap he, he was praising me for not going rogue i gotta go back onto the station and uh and try to pretend that this isn't the second time i'm doing this jump yeah, and, and the actor who plays the uh, the voice of Martok, um, his voice yeah. actor J G J G Hertzler, it's it, perfect, bang on. You know, yeah. you would think it was the same actor. Isn't it the same? I, I thought it was the same actor. Yeah, it's it's, it's is it not? Because I it's the guy it who played Martok plays Martok. I'm I'm 99 percent sure. When when was that? That was like uh, oh yeah, oh, that would have been like mid 90s. Few, few characters on. He played Carlos on on uh, Enterprise. He played a king Klingon captain on Enterprise. Um. Wow. Yeah, because that would have been shows. back into. Yeah. Oh, yes, you're right. He played. He played Martok in a bunch of things. Mm, and Deep Space mm. Nine, and yeah, 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 yeah. No, he's great. He was in Voyager, Voyager Two, or yeah. Voy, as we like to call it. Voy. Yeah, and he Voy. was also. Yeah, I played Martok on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to hear yeah. those familiar like voices. Said, and they actually said. had uh, was it James Cromwell was back as uh, as Zephyr Cochran too. Oh, was that really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. They actually had him do. He was only like a handful of lines. I'm sure they must have just him a big check but that was really again authenticity bonus points yeah definitely for sure and then episode three was uh the alliterative alliterative nightmare mining the mind's minds where they had to uh go down on the the mission alongside the carlsbad where they had to uh the the, the lower decks crew basically had to gather up the the uh scientists the yeah, the mental minds that were left behind when the, the scientists and the rock creatures had had this disagreement, um, which ended up with like the hilarious uh, Rutherford and Leah Brahms. The Leah Brahms bit was hilarious, obviously. A nice throwback to the Jordy LaForge being in love with Leah Brahms stuff. Uh, they had uh, Mariner and her, her apparently is having an affair or a romance with, with Jennifer based on the stuff from last season, which was kind of a neat com- confirmation. I mean, we knew that she was a queer character, but it was nice to get that sort of confirmation. And then, uh, of course, when it, when it all goes wrong and they smash them all over the floor, we end up with uh, the Borg snake and the, the clowns with Batleth arms and uh, just all kinds of weird weirdness. It's, the show's always at its highest watermarks when it gets really weird. Yeah. But that one, yeah, and also I don't know if you, we didn't talk about the 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 Cerritos has been reworked again. Like this this season looks more like a three D model than than more of an um you know so look, looking pretty sharp in the in the space scenes. It's almost like it's been brought up to four K kind of thing, right? Mm. Looks pretty cool. Yep. And tonight's episode was uh yeah because it starts off with them in, in in space dock when when uh, Freeman's um, Captain Freeman is arrested, right? 
but um and this today's episode was was the race to you know try and hack the the lottery so that they could win the the room on yeah. the the four rooms on the first floor i'll leave it there yep yeah that's pretty cool yeah and then mixed in with that was the uh the overworked engineering crew and freeman going to the uh the relaxation uh facility which was very funny but for my money the the steal of the episode was the uh the bonnie and clyde shacks and ta'ana <laughs> scenes yes. those two are yeah, just yeah. the funniest whenever they have a scene with the two of them is always just like a notch up on the crazy hilarious scale where they're like both clearly extremely kinky and also a little deranged and it just always ends up with some hilarious dialogue and scenes the one the one plot point i have a problem with isn't shacks an engineer no, he's no, uh, chief he's of security. security. Oh, chief of security. Okay, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And um, there was one other thing about that whole thing. Oh, and, and I don't know if you guys noticed, but the um, the alien doing the massage on one of the engineers from a distance. He's he play. It's the same um, species that was um, on the flight deck in the animated yeah. Star Trek series. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Yep. I noticed that too. So, yeah, it was kind of cool. Yep. Yeah. Kind of cool. They kind of only showed him from from behind, but yeah, he definitely was. If you had, if you like, you know, in in the same way that you would collect the, you know, the the figures from the um, the cantina scene in in Star Wars, he's kind of like one of those guys, right? Yeah. I also the the reference to uh, um, Ransom having a churro based girlfriend that repeated in there, computer twenty five churros hot in a brown paper bag. Um, Yeah. Churro Livia, I think they called her at one point, is also just the height of depraved humor. And is it my imagination or in these first four, four episodes, have we heard a lot more bleeped swearing than the previous seasons? Yes. Well, I think we've heard quite a, quite a bit of it, like especially today with, with the captain getting all stressed out, right? So, yeah. It hmm. just seems like I've noticed over the past few episodes, there's been a little bit more bleeping than perhaps there was in the past. Yeah, for sure. But... I mean, still continues to be for my money. Um, although I, I am really, I loved Strange New Worlds in a way that I didn't expect to. Um, Lower Decks is still my favorite of these series that's ongoing right now. It's just, it's so consistent in its its humor and it's just, it's it's beautiful reverence and irreverence mix. It both loves Star Trek and also enjoys just mocking it mercilessly. It's such a beautiful tightrope act that they walk, but it's this series is so good. Well, it's the same, and it's the same writers too, and producers behind Rick and Morty and Solar Opposite, because yeah. they have that same sort of they drop bombos all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, they they play with different tropes and things like that, right? So, yep. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. kind of cool, mm-hmm. good show, love it, yep. love it. So, yeah, four episodes in. If you haven't seen them, get pitter patter, get at her. Yeah, especially when the season's only ten episodes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's kind of a sad thing. Yep. Hmm. Yes, but I definitely enjoy the new Cerritos look from outside. Yep. All right. So, um, should we move on to the other the other shows we've been watching? Yeah, for sure. So, House of Dragon, um, starring Matt Smith, uh, is the prequel to um, to the the Game of Thrones. Um, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Uh, the only questions I have, so they're they're playing um, uh, Aegon Targaryen is. Uh, mentioned as one of the ancestors of Daenerys in yep. um in this so so Aegon is the young baby brother that's actually a an earlier Aegon it's not the Aegon that is her father oh, a different Aegon okay yeah. okay yeah I was gonna ask so that was one question I have about this so it, 
So in this one, uh, and, and I'm really enjoying the, the the thing about it, but I'm kind of curious though. Like, do we know? And this is based. This is is this based actually on an earlier book by or a different? Book it's based by? on a later book. So um, a later book. Um, okay. Uh, the book that it's based on is more of like a. It's not a novel. It's a history book. It was written as a history okay. book. Like the Silmarillion kind of idea. Same idea. Yes. So it's it it's certainly it's written much more in a from a historian's perspective, which is George obviously George A. R. R. Martin writing it as a historian writing a book about that time period. So this is showing us a lot more detail than we had in the book. In the book, and a lot of references, it's right, just like, okay. and then so and so got married to so and so, and here we're actually getting to see it and hear the dialogue and everything else. But it is sort of mapped out. You can actually get it on Audible or you can get the book and, and, and you, can, you can know sort of how this history plays out. Obviously, just like Game of Thrones, the television series versus the Fire, a song, uh, Fire and Ice series, there's lots of right. uh, adaptations and changes and amalgamated characters and all kinds of stuff, too. But if you are somebody who wants to get ahead of things and know all the secrets and know the seven layers below all the layers, it's there. So it, 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 I like the fact that when he when he hands uh, the daughter or I've forgotten her name now the uh, the knife that after he superheated Rhaenyra, it so she can read the inscription yeah. Renera so he can so he can read she can read the the inscription and he and it talks about what's the name of the the book that uh, the Game of Thrones is, is Song of Song of Fire Ice and Ice? Fire is that the one Ice and Fire yeah and and he's sort of like like you're going on a some sort of sp- Star Trek, yeah. you know, or Trek through the stars, kind of like like literally turning the the phrase on its its side and looking at it, right? Although it's kind of it, a kind of a Easter egg drop, it is. But you've also, I think, you've kind of hit on one of the things that I kind of um, have struggled with over the first four episodes. And now I will say, like you, I enjoy this series. I think the production value is gorgeous. I think the performances are incredible. I think there's so much to like about this series, but there are a few inconsistencies that are kind of like eh. so. Unlike Game of Thrones, which really started so super slow as far as time, like the a passage of time, if somebody had to walk from like the north to the south, it took like a year and a half's worth of episodes. Whereas towards the end of Game of Thrones, they were like, you know, a light speed traveling where they'd be like, okay, hop on my back, we'll get there in two weeks. Uh, in this one, they're trying to tell you not a cohesive story, but almost like a history. So it's jumping forward episode by episode in time. So the first episode of the season, Rhaenyra is supposed to be 12 years old. In episode four, yeah. which we just saw on, on Sunday, she's supposed to be 18. So yeah. we're moving forward. And the, the showrunners have already said the first season will, will encapsulate about 30 years of Targaryen timeline. Oh, really? Okay. But what that means is there's these weird inconsistencies. So in the first episode, when uh, when the king decides to name Rhaenyra as the, the heir to the throne, he shares with her the thing that all T- Targaryens know, which is, we will be responsible for stopping the, the, the long winter when it comes, because by divine right, that's what we're supposed to do. And that's an important thing to know, because then you have to sort of factor that into what, everything we know about all of the Targaryens over time and their sort of their sort of side responsibility that they had this prophecy that said that they were going to be responsible for, uh, you know, preventing the decimation of all of life at the hands of, of the, the, the Night King. But he says that in episode one, when Rhaenyra is like a small child, he tells her like, OK, you're going to be the queen someday. You need to know this. 
And then it's episode four when he hands her the the dagger that's been, you know, it, it has this prophecy sort of inscripted on it and tells her tells her even more of this information. But it's like six years later in chronology. It what if he died in the in the meantime? Would would she just happen to have had to have thrown her knife into a fire to like it just it's stuff like that that kind of just when you're doing these little time jumps, it starts to lead to incongruities, and that stuff kind of drives me bananas. But as I say, everything about this series, even factoring in the occasional incongruity, I, I think it's been fantastic. Uh, Jaime, I'm curious to think what you uh, hear, what you think about all this. Yeah, I'm I'm really liking this show. Um, it uh, it's kind of its own thing. It, it's not like like a retread of Game of Thrones. Yes, there are some familiar names. Yes, there's still people battling for uh for the throne, but uh it's it's such its own sort of beast where, you know, you see like like King uh, Viserys is kind of on his own little arc, right? Like I I assumed he was going to die fairly early on cuz like, oh, okay, he's going to be, you know, like the guy who leaves the throne vacant, but no, he's he's hanging around and he's kind of showing us uh how being a, a good person can make you a terrible king. Right, because he makes some some questionable yeah. choices that, like, uh, I see how you got there, but man, that was like the dumbest thing you could do from like a, um, you know, purely looking out for yourself kind of uh, standpoint. So he's been pretty good. I like uh, uh, Rhaenyra and Millie Alcock as the the current version that we're seeing as a teenager, and then just high praise for Matt Smith as as Damon Targaryen because he is. Um, uh, he is the best uncle ever, apparently, <laughs> in all of history. Um, can, we, can we put a, a pin in that one? <laughs> yeah. Unquestionably great as an uncle uh, yeah. and, and as a brother. Um, but he is one of those characters where it's like, he is one of those guys that's in the family where he just cannot get it together as being like a proper family member in terms of like sticking out as, as sort of like a like an outcast. And yet he's not against the family. Right. Like when, when push comes to shove, it seems like he always chooses family. Um, so he's kind of an interesting gray character for me. Yeah, he's he's both been really compelling as a character and also, uh, boy, hard to get a read on him as to. I mean, this whole recent episode and again, we're in we're in spoiler territory, kids. But the whole idea of like seducing his niece now again targaryens have yeah. well that's kind of like the uncle taking the 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 nephew out and getting him you know turned on for the first time that's kind of sort of where he was going and mm -hmm. then all of a sudden it turns takes takes a left turn well right? but then i don't think it did i i interpreted it as he was deliberately trying to take her out like he it's the point where he takes her hat off so that everyone can see mm -hmm. that it's her right i yeah, think he yeah, did, was doing yeah. this whole thing was all a plot to basically shame her so that her dad would have to let him marry her so that he could get the throne. That's how I interpreted yeah, it. Yeah. And yeah. so again, he's just, he's always, well, he seems like he's always got both the best and worst of intentions at the same time. Like he clearly does love his niece, both uh, uh, in a family way and in a not so family way. Uh, it, it's really weird and complicated. Yeah. But it's also, it's also about the whole political, like, you know, the, the constant reminder that you you have to marry to improve you know the, the tracts of lands that mm -hmm. we have right you know like i mean that that's sort of that's the, the whole play of anybody that gets married and, and and it was true back in back in the in in our own histories right that that it was it was more of an arrangement than it was you know 
for love or whatever, right? So, um, and and it is kind of a you know I I wouldn't have thought of you know him marrying his niece to sort of keep the the line or whatever or succession going correctly or whatever, or even the way the hand you know sort of throws his young daughter who was her friend at the king, you know, kind of thing. Um, also gross. Yeah, also very gross. Exactly. Well, I mean, like you know, and it, and it kind of you know spoils the relationship for the two girls as well, right? Um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's an interesting sort of play on 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 that on the politic of of getting married or marrying for because I mean back then you know uh, I hate to say it but women weren't considered anything but property, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and and you know, as right. as is pointed out in the first episode of this, some baby making machines, right? The way the the horrifying scene in the first episode with the uh, the the birth of of, of one of Aegon's heirs there, or one of Viserys' um, heirs is, is just shows the true value that they put on women, which is not much. But then that, that's, I think, as Jaime pointed out, I think that's what makes the Millie Alcock, Rhaenyra character uh, versus the Alicent, the wife of the queen character, so compelling, too. It's the, you know, what agency is for a woman on herself. She says, I don't want to be a baby-making machine, but she lives in an era where that's the expectation for her, too. It's, it's really, it's, it's, Again, really good show. It's really compelling. Mm-hmm. And I apologize because I don't know the name of this character. But while everybody is like trying to marry off somebody to, to be political pawns and, and create alliances, kudos to that one guy who's on the small council that Viserys, you know, is is drowning in a sea of I want to marry your daughter proposals. And this one guy says, hey, you know, you, you really need to get her married. And he's like, oh, to, to your son? He's like, oh, well, you know, thanks for the, you know, the, the flattery. But no, the best thing would be for her to marry this other guy's son, because that would give you the best, you know, setup for the kingdom. So I'm going to try to do mm-hmm. a, a little bit of looking up here at some point. Maybe it'll be fact checked for the next time. But whoever that dude is, kudos to that guy, because he understands what his role is <laughs> as some member of the small council to help people and not just selfishly look out for him and his own family. Yeah, I think that was Borman Baratheon, which is very funny because at that point, the Baratheons, who of course, that's uh, Robert Baratheon, king at the beginning of Game of Thrones. Um, at that point, the Baratheons and the Targaryens were thick as thieves. They were good friends. They were good allies. And then I think maybe even this season, uh, we might see that start to st- start to separate because there is obviously a, a breakdown in that relationship that happens over time. But uh, you're right, though, Jaime. It's 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 yeah. always it's funny because Viserys, especially in the last episode when they do the, the the hunt where he's out there, he's like, you know, he just loses his marbles. He's drunk and he basically says, like, I am so sick of all this politics. I don't want to hear any more of it. I'm tired of people just talking to me all the time about like wanting my daughter's hand and wanting to get their, you know, get their due. Basically, you know, trying to basically play the system here. Yeah, yeah, good show. Yeah, really good. And and the production value, got it beautiful it's it's so well done especially considering that they've been doing a lot of it more notably you can see that there's more green screen less on set or less on on uh, location rather mm-hmm. right yeah and there's a lot of a lot more swords in the in the iron throne than than i recall in game of thrones right there is and, and it's funny because that was always the complaint george had always envisioned that the, the look for the house of the dragon is what he saw as as the uh the sword throne and he was really, he hated the look of the one on the show because that was not what oh, yeah. he envisioned. Mm. So it's neat that they do that. Although, again, I wonder if at some point in the chronology of this series, there'll be something that sort of 
changes it somehow or something. But I also lo- I love the little subtle things they've been doing where like the throne is kind of rejecting Viserys. It keeps cutting him and he keeps getting these like sores and cuts all yeah, over him. That's and, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They, the, so if, if you read that, the book that this is based on, there's sort of this allusion to the fact that the throne kind of has a mind of its own and that it, it basically chooses the worthy and the unworthy. And, and part of the reason why he keeps getting cuts and sores and scabs and he lost a couple fingers in the most recent episode, part of that is supposed to be that the throne knows he is not worthy of it. Oh, I see. Right. And so it's basically, it's subtly killing him because it knows that he does not have what it takes. I mean, he's not a dragon rider. He's not a brave man. He's not a swordsman. He's a polit, he's a politician and the sword, the swords know that he's not worthy of sitting there. So it's basically trying to kill him. So he's a sort of the last Nussman of this episode or this show because he's always got a bandaid on somewhere, right? That's right. <laughs> well, and he's, I mean, again, the whole, if you, if you sort of look at the, the way the different, you know, the, the boldness and the strength of a character like Damon, and I, I think he's one of the more compelling characters we've had in Game of Thrones versus his brother, who is clearly like not, not the same cut of the same cloth. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this continues to play out over the series. Yeah. Cool. Right, and the next the next show is is uh, the the Tatiana Maslany's She Hulk, um, which is a really interesting show. I think if it wasn't for her being the character, I don't know if I would really buy into the show because it's kind of wishy washy as far as as you know Marvel movies go. But you know she's such an impelling impelling actor, in my opinion, anyway. That that she you know makes light of the role and makes light of her powers and that kind of stuff, and and does breaks the fourth wall all the time. You know, uh, it's really a really interesting thing. And it's I don't know, is it like Night Court meets you know the Incredible Hulk? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it's kind of lighter fare. So people have been wondering like, where is this going? And I think there is a someplace it's going that's been very kind of slow and subtle and i don't know that they'll actually get there through the end of the season here we are through what episode five out of plan nine um so i am reminded of very similar like where is this going kind of vibes that people had online for wandavision now i kind of you know i enjoyed wandavision that's i still wish it kind of had gone the route of like oh grief is the villain kind of thing and and not as great as agatha is and looking forward to her her show kind of hoping this one is kind of just setting up things for other parts of the mcu and isn't going to have a distinct oh here's the big bad the end kind of thing right they've they've flirted with some stuff that's going on but i'm kind of okay just having a a here's some nutty stuff that happens in comic book land kind of show i don't know that we've really had something like that in the mcu yeah i mean as 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 sort of a a marvel take on a sitcom which is more or less what this is. I think, Tim, you kind of nailed it with uh, with your comparison to Night Court. It kind of is. It's kind of, it's the closest I think we've come to a, almost a truer sitcom situation. You know, the situations come up episode by episode, week by week. There's a, a weird law case, and there's also some super heroic stuff going on around it. But I mean, this week's episode, for example, like, She-Hulk doesn't punch anybody. Like, it's not a, it's not about that. Um, yeah, and and, and yeah. yet it still really works. Um, I, I like it. I like the fact that it's not just relying on, you know, punch, kick, punch, kick, punch, kick. It's relying on Tatanya Maslany's wildly underrated, uh, comedic chops. I mean, we knew that she was a fantastic actor, but I don't know that I knew that she was this funny. And then putting a really good 
supporting cast around and then guest stars galore the first few weeks obviously we got you know wong and we got uh you know we had uh you know notably bruce banner the hulk himself for the first you know uh full episode and then a, a part of the second one you know it it's definitely um it's carving out a corner of the sort of funny part of the marvel universe and i think it's doing really well i know i've seen a lot of blowback online people sort of saying well you know this is you know it's too irreverent it's too, it's making too much fun and i'm like well, in the same way that we laud the marvel universe for going to all these different directions and these different movies you know some of them are flat out funny some of them are very suspenseful some of them are downright horrific see the the most recent doctor strange i i think this has a perfect little corner carved out for itself and i like it i really think it's funny yeah you've got some yeah. some interesting stuff they bring in with uh with wong for a few episodes um and the yeah. uh the abomination and and, and Madison, is, and Madison, right with with but with two ends and one Y, but not where you, but not think. Where you think it is. <laughs> I thought she yeah, was a one off stallion as well. And she might be yeah. like uh, no, but then to see her at the end of the episode, like curled up on the couch wearing a slanket with with Wong watching TV was hilarious. And casually dropping Sopranos, very old Soprano spoilers, but you know, nonetheless, he was obviously hurt by learning what was coming up. Yeah. So was our number one fan, by the way, who was very offended that they would be dropping spoilers for Sopranos. I said, dude, the show's been over for a decade. Like at a certain point, it's on you. <laughs> That's on you for being born too late. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, happened again, to, it happened to us for, for our parent shows. You're going to do it to your kids' shows. And, and so the, the wheel of time keeps turning kind of thing. That's it. That's it. Yeah, good show. And the, the last one we have in our, our main section here is the Rings of Power, I think it's called, yeah. right? Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. Yeah, very sort of strange thing. A, a, a funny thing, what a friend of mine was commenting on, uh, well, Joe Chaplinsky was commenting on Twitter that people were complaining about how slow the the, uh, the first episode was. And uh, he's like, have you read the Lord of the Rings? And have you seen you the know, movies? Like, like, come on. Yeah. Talk about slow well, the movies. were fast-paced compared to the no, book, it's true, right? it's the, true. The book, like... The, the first chapter, the first like three chapters of the book is just them walking out of the forest, right? Yep. But uh, um, yeah, and, and the whole controversy about the, the mixed race, I mean, that's been going on like, like crazy. Like, again, like, you know, you, you talk about the, the, you know, the internet's a great place, except when it isn't, Yeah, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't understand. Like, yeah, we, we have a diverse society already. Why can't we have a diverse shire or a diverse, you know, elf race, you yep. know, kind of thing? Yep. Um, I don't see any, any, I mean, you put the the right actor in the right role, who cares what, we're all, we have one race, the human race, you know, and we're playing, of course, we're playing elves and dwarves and stuff, but um, I'm, I'm really enjoying the sort of, the play between, like, the dwarves and the elves and, and the sort of, you know, the, the, the one guy who goes to try to make the arrangement with the, with the, the elf to get them to help them, you know, the whole sort of how man, mankind fits into the stories. Um, I'm the Gladriel story. I'm not so sure I really, um, get that, but I mean, well, we'll see where that one goes, right. With her sort of wandering around, she's give she wins her ability to go back to the, the, the their Nirvana, whatever it's called, I forget what they call it, but, and she decides to, to not go there because she, she feels the threat of Sauron coming back, right? Yep. Sauron or Sauron? Sauron. Sauron, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, interesting. Um, you know, sort of some of the some of the plot points are are really compelling and interesting. But uh, and again, it, 
it's weird. I was going to say this. I'm going to say this for the watch list, but I'm really enjoying the fact that not everything comes out at Friday at five. <laughs> you know, because it gives you a bit of breathing room between between things. Like you know, She Hulk is on Thursday. You know, Lower Decks is on Thursday. House of Dragon is on Sunday, I believe. The Rings of Power are Wednesday or something like that. Mm-hmm. But but they're not coming out on the same day. So you so you've got some chance to sort of breathe between between the episodes, right? Yep. Yeah, I, uh, I'm glad they're the only series that's dropped recently that was like the all in one drop, which is Netflix is really the last bastion of, of the binge, uh, was, was the Sandman. And yeah, that's and true. because yeah. of the way that they did it, I have, and also because I was away in Ireland and then got sick, but, um, I have only watched the first episode. Now I thought it was a great first episode and I'm looking forward to watching the other 10 episodes that are, that are there, but What's backfired on them and what they don't seem to appreciate as much as I'm sure their their metrics are showing them good success and everything else, the conversation of the Sandman is dead. It's been dead for three weeks yeah. already. It was it yeah. was a good conversation for a week. People were talking about it, people were telling people to watch it, they were loving it, but that conversation died after a week. Whereas the through the four series we just mentioned, or three series specifically, House of Dra- uh, the Dragon, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, and Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. People are talking about those consistently for eight, ten weeks. Uh, well, also the Disney stuff too, which I'm going to talk about some of that in in my uh, in my picks. But yeah, this, the same sort of idea that they're only dropping one episode, and it gives like it gives you time to sort of like absorb it and take it in. And, and I realize it's not the Netflix sit down, get the mm-hmm. adult diaper and the and the Uber Eats and just watch yeah, it, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, cause I, I, you're right. I, I, I tend to pace myself. I don't, I don't sit down and binge very, I mean, I have been to a few shows, but very few shows that I sit down and binge just for that. Well, reason, and you know. I, I say this with love and respect to our entire audience and how you choose to watch is up to you, but who has time to watch if they drop 10, one hour plus episodes of a show, you know, if you want to be part of the conversation about a show, you basically have to commit to that first few days that it drops watching the whole thing i'm sorry but i'm an adult in his 40s i don't have time for that yeah Yeah, that's probably a pretty good split there that as uh you know as a student i definitely would have been in the i'm gonna binge this over the weekend uh or in one day kind of thing and i had arguably the the time and energy to do that but as a as an older man now it's like yeah i i can commit to like a few hours a week <laughs> and i can i can yeah. do that you know and then and catch up on a weekend if i'm busy during the week like i i think there's a place for both i ultimately think that the money will tell people to just you know drop the first couple episodes on opening night and then leak them out one at a time drip them out one at a time i think mm-hmm. it just keeps you paying for for service longer so i think eventually yep. people will move there and then some things would be like, yeah, this one isn't going to need a, a drip, drip, drip. This isn't a, a marquee one. And, and we can get more bang for the buck by just releasing it all at once. I, I think there will be some give and take there, given that it's not like traditional things. that like, hey, guess what? Uh, fall season started for broadcast. You need to have something that sells Huggies, Pampers, and Coca-Cola, right? Um, yeah. You don't have those restrictions. You can have more episodes, fewer episodes, release them all at once week at a time some mixture and we've seen some series be like this episode's half an hour this other episode's an hour and a half because why not it doesn't have to fit the same eight to nine o'clock time slot right yeah no i think you're right Jaime. although again i i'm i wish the sandman was more of that conversation that had lasted longer because 
from what I've seen so far and from my love of the story that it's based on, I wish that it had captured more people's imaginations. And I feel like it was a flash in the pan because of the way that it was released. Yeah. Coming back to what you said, Jaime, in previous episodes about Netflix, Netflix is, in my mind, like we, we know that they are down subscriptions for the first time in ever uh, this last quarter. To me, they are making themselves the most expendable service right now because of the model that they use to drop all their episodes at once, because I can go months without needing it versus something that is doing, you know, like Star Wars. If I'm a Star Wars buff. Right now, I'm going to start watching Andor. Andor is going to basically end. Two weeks later, Bad Batch is going to start. Right after that ends, you're going to, you know, like all these things kind of piggyback on each other. And you kind of have to keep your subscription if you, if you are interested and want to be part of the conversation. With Netflix, I could drop it for six months and then pick it up and binge for a month on the stuff that I want to watch and then move on because the conversation comes and goes so fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if we're there yet with, with Netflix, like in terms of, you know, we, we've talked about the fact that, you, you know, you get, you know, heating and water and food and Netflix kind of like they kind of go hand in hand with, with you know, you have Internet and you have Netflix. Um They've got, they're so deep in terms of what they've got in terms of shows and they're, you know, they're bringing new, new uh, shows in all the time that they're not, I don't, I, even though their numbers are low, I don't think like Hami's always saying, vote with your dollars. I don't think that model works. I think people are still going to continue to watch Netflix. And as long as Netflix keeps dropping entire series all at once, people are going to sit down and, and watch them. And I know I've done that myself. I've, I've sat down and watched um, you know, like when, uh, Ozark final season came out, I sat down and watched it, you know, like, and took me two and a half nights, but, but that's pretty much all I did for those two and a half nights, you know? Um, and there's been been a few other shows that I watched recently that are like, oh, the love, love and robots that when love, death and robots, that's a, those are all shorts, right? And I just binged through the second half of the, of the current season on those the other day, like, cause it probably took me like two and a half hours to finish that off. Right. Um, I m- probably would have enjoyed it more if I'd watched one and then come back to it like next week kind of thing. Right. Um, so as much as I complain, I mean, I'm glad that the Disney and the Apple TV kind of people have, have sort of decided to spread things out a bit more, you know, over the week. Right. Um, cause I'd rather watch one good show or, or maybe two good shows a night and then, and then carry on to the next day kind of thing or, or wait a day and take a day off from TV. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's move on to our watch list. I've got a lot of shows that I've been watching and I keep thinking about other ones that I haven't even put on this list, but so I'm going to let you guys go first to get your bang your orders out and, uh, we'll, we'll go from there. All right. Well, I'll go first. Uh, first one is, uh, is not, not so much a show. It's just this, this really cool clip that I had seen online. Um, something that I had observed over the years, but didn't realize how pervasive it was is a, a little YouTube video where somebody has assembled all the versions in, in uh, pop culture over the last 35 years of the Akira slide. Um, Jaime, you probably are familiar with the Akira slide. Uh, Tim, I don't know if you are as much, but it's that it's the maneuver from the original Akira motion picture where uh, the lead character uh, is driving his super cool futuristic motorcycle and he basically starts off screen and slides into your camera view and then slides sideways with the smoke coming off his tires from the side uh, at the time it was just a really beautiful visual but it was such a beautiful visual that so many people especially in animation have been inspired by over the years uh, that when you see this assembled video and i've got the link in our show notes it's uh it's been redone 
dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times over the years in all of these different circumstances. And it's really cool to see uh, how pervasive this one animated shot has uh, been across its influence across all of these different programs and, and TV shows and in both cartoons and in real life. It's it was just a really cool reminder of how uh, influential that movie was and how just how important it was in its way, too. I haven't seen Akira, so I, but I'll, well, I think I'm familiar with the scene, but we'll, we'll check this out for yeah, sure. Very cool. Um, on our trip, uh, family trip to Ireland, I uh, was lucky enough to have one of those cool uh, screen on the back of my seat things that I could watch. I decided it was time to watch uh, the Uncharted movie starring Marky Mark and uh, Spider-Man uh, or whatever their names are. And um, Tom, yeah, it was uh, it was OK. It was OK. It was, you know, it fell well within the spectrum of, of the, the Jaime Lopez zone of if you had a big bag of, bag of popcorn, it would definitely be an entertaining film. Obviously, it was diminished a little bit by being a little, little seat back screen versus seeing it on a, a, you know, an IMAX screen or whatever else. But it was actually pretty good. Um, you know, both of the characters were charming. Uh, there was lots of big, huge set pieces and stuff like that. I could see why people didn't necessarily like or feel like it was enough like the Uncharted series, but I do feel like there was enough there that, you know, if they decided they want to continue that, 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 you know, it it would certainly be, you know, worth grabbing a bag of popcorn and and sitting down and watching it. I I would say it's worth a watch for sure. Again, don't look for high art. Yeah, definitely. It's not a piece of genius. It's certainly not as well uh scripted and and plotted as as some of those sort of epic blockbustery things but when you compare it to things like you know the earthquake movies and rampage and those it fits perfectly in all those kinds of, of movies mm-hmm. it's not a high watermark for video game movies but it's certainly a worth a watch yeah i have to agree i, I did enjoy i'd watched it on on my big screen here at home um before we went away and uh i i enjoyed it i mean you know in as much as you know you you sort of have to Suspend this yeah, belief. Check that, your brain that, at the door. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's you know, it it is pretty faithful to the to the to the uh, the first series of the game. Um, yeah, Marky Mark is a little hard to take as as um, the old Sully, man. Yeah. And yeah, and uh, Tom Holland is a little too young to play Nathan. Yep. Right. But but other than that, I mean, they don't really go into sort of the the uh, the um, who's the character that the explorer that he's supposed to be inherit. He thinks he's descendant from oh uh, francis drake um, francis drake yeah francis drake yeah because he's nathan drake yeah right? but um but you know that that they lost that part of the of the story but uh but yeah it was pretty good i mean it, it blowed up real good i mean and it did look a little bit like like the plane scene where he's falling out of the cargo hold is a bit like the game oh, where yeah the game mechanics led that scene to be the way it is and, and they kind of re- replicated it I think the best part was the cameo by the, the original voice actor from yeah. on the beach. That was funny on the yeah. beach. Yeah. That was pretty funny. Yeah. 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 So I kind of did a double take there, but yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, and the last thing okay. I just wanted to flag, um, you know, uh, I'm a lifelong animation buff. I love, um, I love animated storytelling. It, uh, I think does not necessarily get its due near enough as an art form, uh, that, that belongs shoulder to shoulder with filmmaking and some of the other, uh medium that that that, you know that do get a lot more attention television and otherwise 
Uh, so it was very, very satisfying to see that this week they announced, or last week they announced, that uh, the Criterion Collection has selected uh, Wally, Andrew Stanton's uh, Pixar masterpiece, for the Criterion Collection uh, 4K and Blu-ray Special Edition. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think if you look at the totality of of all the Pixar movies. This one really kind of does stand out as just something very, very special in its quietness and stillness. It's sort of transcending its genre. Um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, and it's also funny and entertaining and kids like it and everything else. But um, it's really neat to see that they're, they're going the full criterion on it. They've got, you know, all the audio commentaries, the highest possible quality of video and audio all built in a bunch of retrospectives, um, you know, just just really giving this film the due that they would give a Godard film or, or, or any of the other things that, that Pixar uh, is not necessarily associated with, but certainly the Criterion Collection is. So um, I just wanted to highlight, it's, it's not coming out until November 22nd, so there's time to pre-order it and everything mm-hmm. else. But um, I, was, I was genuinely very, very excited at the prospect that, that this movie was going to be treated in the same category as so many of those, you know, uh, yep. sort of long-lived and, and really influential films, because I think it really deserves to be there. Yeah, it's definitely my favorite Pixar film. In fact, I keep a copy of it on on my digital devices. It's always on my playlist, and I've, I don't know how many. I've watched it a thousand times, but yeah, I definitely 100% agree. I've, I've, I own quite a few Criterion movies, and, and I think it, you know, it's the high watermark for, for movies in general, and I'm, I'm glad to see that it's finally getting this, this level of respect. Is is the Beauty and the Beast not in the Criterion Collection? No, as far as I understand it, I know this is by f- for sure the first Pixar movie, but I believe it's also the first yeah. Disney yeah. picture that's been added to this. Now that could be really? a circumstance mm. because uh, of the competing priorities of release and whatever else. But still, that doesn't—that's not nothing, you know. Yeah, but to be able to own a 4K version of this, you know, when the internet dies and goes away, would be will be great, right? <laughs> Do you know something we should know? <laughs> Nothing is forever on the internet. You got it. I got to tell you. You got it. All right. We'll throw over to Jaime for his obsession. (laughs) My my renewed obsession with whales and and wanting uh, Welsh cakes. So (laughs) welcome Welcome to Wrexham is the uh, documentary series uh, still coming out on on FX and Hulu in your uh, your various neighborhoods. I think it's FX uh, or FX Now or something like that in Canada. Um, it's about the Wrexham Football Club, purchased by uh, Canadian Ryan Reynolds and American Rob McElhaney, and following them through in kind of like a like real world Ted Lasso, right? So two yeah two gentlemen who know nothing about running uh, a sports club of of any sort, much less one for for football or soccer, if you prefer. And it's uh it's fun. It's good. I, I've I've enjoyed it so far. It's it's interesting to watch in kind of a. If you've ever seen those uh, HBO's uh, Hard Knocks or uh, Amazon's All or Nothing series, where they follow a team through through the year, it, it's not just about the games. And in fact, the games are kind of not really as important as all of the other surrounding stuff. Uh, fun, fun, fun to watch. Where is it on? Cool stuff. It's on FX and Hulu in the states. I think I can pull up Just Watch. I think it's FX Now. Is, yeah. is that like a paid service, or is that just a thing you can you can get as part of your cable bundle or something? I don't know what FX Now is in yeah, Canada. FX Now is an app up here. I know that. 
No, FX is a channel here. There's an FX and there's FFX, but sometimes FX shows are on Crave and um, occasionally on Disney so, and Disney as well. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll have to use Just Watch for sure. By the way, Jaime, I, have, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but I have some Welsh um, ancestry. And um, do you know what the Welsh name for Wales is? I do not. It's Cymru. Cymru. Makes sense, right? I mean... <laughs> So for my my one trip to Wales at uh, in, in Aberystwyth, it is a challenging challenging language, and did make oh, me yeah, feel yeah. like I was temporarily having a stroke because I'm in an ostensibly <laughs> English speaking country, and you look at a sign, and you're like, I can't read that. Oh my gosh, am I smelling burnt toast? And it's like, oh no, there's English right below it. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So not a Welsh speaker. Well, same thing. Same thing in Ireland as well. But yeah. But if you if you look check out um um Rob McElwainy and um. Ryan Reynolds were on um, Stephen Colbert's show, and uh, there's a, apparently I think it was McElwain, ha knows this one particularly really long Welsh city name, and and he rattles it off. It's it's like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, super like mm -hmm. times twelve. Yeah, so it's really really kind of interesting. They do talk about the 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 show and and the team and all that kind of stuff. It's on uh, FX here in Canada. You can, uh, through, through your local cable provider or on uh, platforms like uh, Rogers Ignite. On their app, yeah. Things like that on there. Yeah. Um, oh, good. They have a, there's an FX app, I think, too, right? Yes. Did you, did you guys see the bet that uh, the McElhaney and, and uh, Reynolds did? The, uh, the, the uh, colonoscopy bet? No. <laughs> so Reynolds bet McElhaney that he couldn't learn Welsh. And if he did, he agreed to do a live on-camera colonoscopy. Oh, right. Yeah, and yeah. so McElhaney did, in fact, learn enough Welsh that he felt like he had honored the bet. So they both decided that for the benefit of, uh, for the, benefit of the cause, that they would both get live on-camera colonoscopies. And so they, they put that nice. video up recently, and it is well worth watching. It's so funny. Right. Are they both conscious? Or? Yes. Uh, well, no, they were both knocked out oh during God. it, but you get all the before and then all the after when they're like coming down off the medication. It's, it's pretty funny. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that's it. That's one of those. Definitely. Definitely. You can't drive home afterwards. I uh, knew. Um, yeah. So I got a bunch of things. First, first one up is pretty funny. I uh, saw this the other day on, uh, I think on Facebook, Kevin Smith has put out a video about where he says every Jedi and Sith. I, I thought it was from, just a TV series, but no, it's also the movies and all, you know, uh, Rebels and, and uh, Clone Wars and all that kind of stuff. And he goes through his, you know, 30 seconds on every single Jedi, uh, all the way from, you know, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn all the way up to Ahsoka. And uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool uh, little video here if you watch that. If, you know, sort of if you want to find out who all these different, you know, Jedis that we keep talking about, who they are, Jedi and Sith, I should say. Um, and his sort of take on them, and uh, like you know, like like he he agrees with me about uh, a Snoke that you know here we thought in the middle of the, the movie that you know we we're going to have this amazing badass you know uh, Sith is going to like you know ruin the lives of all the oh never mind. Then <laughs> um, moving on to a bunch of other movies here, just that I that I've been seeing over the last little while. I want to just throw them out here uh, on Disney Plus is uh, a show called The Bear, which is about a restaurant a. a, a a gentleman named Carm Berilowski or something like that, who inherits a restaurant in Chicago. Um, if you've ever worked in hospitality services and you know what that means, or if you worked in a bar or you worked in a restaurant, 
This is a really good show. It, it, it'll it remind you of all the trauma of all the shift you ever pulled. Um, it's only, it's really strange because it's seven episodes, not six or eight, mm-hmm. but, or nine or whatever. But yeah, it's, it, it's really good. And, and the, the, fi- the fin- season finale just came out this week. So yeah, Jeff, check that one out. Yeah, I saw that one. Um, um, Jonathan- it was on Hulu here in the States. And I agree that it is, it is, there's like a two episode sequence in there that is intense. Uh, when everything's falling apart in the in the kitchen, and um, uh, I I've never worked in uh, that industry, but uh, it definitely feels like my gosh, how do you put up with this all the time? They're just yeah, it is pretty mind numbing. Yeah, 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 it's pretty mind numbing. Yeah, especially when you go to the fridge and there's no food. Um, the, Jonathan's brother David was telling me about this show that his uh, coworkers were raving about called The Old Man. Uh, starring Jeff Bridges. I am a huge Jeff Bridges fan. I didn't even know about this show being on, um, but it's about, uh, it's kind of like, uh, what's the, the, um, oh, the David Cronenberg movie about the, and it's, I think it's a comic book about the Viggo Morganson is a sort of sleeper. A history of violence. History of violence. So it's kind of that sort of a, a take on that kind of story. Um, the Jeff Bridges character, I believe he has a daughter in this yeah he's a daughter in this um and and he's sort of this guy that you know has been living under an assumed name for many many years and all of a sudden uh he doesn't get quite quite get activated but he gets discovered by you know the authorities the cia the fbi and all that kind of stuff and and it's it's kind of his you know and he's an old guy he's like 70 years old you know he's his, his body's all broken down and and so it's a bit of, it's a bit of, a bit of, you know, like kind of like a, like a bit like Logan in a sense, but it's also, um, you know, he, he snaps into the born identity from time to time. It, it's a really, really good show. It's, um, I think it's eight episodes long. Um, and, uh, John Lithgow plays, uh, his old nemesis from back in the day. He gets pulled back in. He's, he's very senior in in the uh the fbi cia I figure which which, uh, which one of those two agencies he's with but um and it's so, sort of the play between these two you know ancient warriors kind of going at it again um lots of intrigue lots of 70s 80s politic politicking in there um but yeah definitely definitely highly recommend watching this show and and um it ends quick and uh you won't be I, this was i think this was on netflix so i got to binge this one but or, or there was enough episodes piled up that i got to binge it but uh yeah definitely looking forward to the next season although they could just end it where they ended it that fine too and coming back um, to the big bag just of interjecting here because you said it was on netflix that might be true in canada it is on fx here in the states the other um when I watched, and this is the big bag of popcorn again, if you're into the Jurassic Park, Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World series, uh, this is sort of the finale uh, episode or movie Jurassic World Domination. It's the third Chris Pratt um, movie where he's in it, but they bring back the old cast from the original, the original uh, show. Uh, Sam Neill comes back, um, Laura Dern comes back, and um, The Fly, what's his name again? Uh, Jeff Goldblum. They're all back, so it's kind of like the old uh, crew plus the you know the Jurassic Park crew plus the world the um, world domination crew. Even some of the dinosaurs come back. Let's put it that way. But uh, yeah, it 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 blows up real good. It's it's actually pretty good telling of the whole story. Maybe a bit predictable, but you know it's the same sort of story that you get out of out of all the Jurassic Parks and Jurassic World shows. Um, yeah, but you know things go wrong. Dinosaurs escape. You know 
somebody some some of them get eaten you know is, is it streaming somewhere now tim <laughs> but uh is it sorry? streaming somewhere now yeah it's on oh Peacock, no i think I, I watched think. it on the plane you're right i think i think it's a couple of weeks away from from streaming i think it's i think it's a pay to watch right now still so. yeah so i, I i've yeah. been waiting for it to drop on a on a free to watch uh yeah no i think i saw it on the plane yeah. Oh, okay yeah i saw it on the small screen okay uh how did i see that? oh yeah no i saw it, yeah i saw it on on the uh the, the way home from west jet uh, okay. um the other, the other movie i watched uh, which is on crave right now in canada is the elvis movie um i knew i didn't know elvis but i followed elvis you know as a young man he died in, in my teenage years um it's kind of an american tragedy in a sense you know in terms of this this guy and and his his life sort of the first sort of giant star you know that that people sort of followed and and uh praised and that kind of stuff and um uh interesting sort of take from the point of view of of how it's told it's it's kind of um it's like a kind of a rap as you know like a like a what do you call it um uh, scat singing kind of jazz kind of storytelling style that they use in this movie back and forth flipping back and forth between you know young elvis old elvis it kind of does go in a linear fashion um but it's more about colonel parker and and about elvis uh, and uh a good good movie i think i think it's it's interesting i don't know if it's necessarily true it's probably truer to the you know the life of elvis as it was because i mean he's he's kind of like built up as this sort of you know a hero figure by a lot of people but uh you know because that's, that's the way it was but um interesting movie i definitely i definitely recommend it it's not a, it's not a great movie but it's not a bad movie um i did watch lightyear i don't know if you guys have seen lightyear yet uh it came out on streaming services i think disney plus maybe yeah i haven't seen it but it is on um, disney yeah i mean I, I, that's a movie i think i probably would have enjoyed watching it in the big on the big screen but you know it came out at the still at the, the height of the the latest version of of covid so i didn't think to go see it but yeah definitely it looked like it would be really interesting to see an IMAX for sure. I think it was an IMAX, right? This movie. Um, but yeah, really enjoyed it. Similar vein as, you know, just as well animated and all that kind of stuff as say a Wally or any of the other uh, movies. Um, a lot of fun, funny bits in it as well. So I definitely recommend Lightyear. And the last movie I saw, which is kind of uh, Moon Age Daydream. I'm right now is a Toronto International Film Festival. I managed to get a ticket to see this movie the other day on the on, at the Cinesphere. I was wondering why they were showing it in IMAX, but uh, it definitely was shot to be shown on IMAX, and the, the sound mix was created for the IMAX theater with the multiple uh, speakers around. It's a, obviously it's a semi-biopic uh, about David Bowie and his work, um, sort of going from his in introduction to the world all the way to the, to the end of his life, including his last album. Um, and sort of talks about all the different things he, he, all the different kinds of styles of music he went through, and he morphed into from one character to to another in his stage personas. Um, really interesting movie. Uh, again, kind of another one of these scat singing kind of biopics. It's not really very linear. There's a lot of borrowed elements from other other movies, but it's all you know the the footage has all been taken out and painstakingly color corrected and. You know, some of it's like 35 millimeters, some of it's VHS, and they kind of, they, they brought the VHS up to like, you know, almost the IMAX quality, right? Um, but yeah, the, the sound is amazing. If you're a Bowie fan in any way, shape, or form, and you can see this in the big screen, the big theater with big sound, I highly recommend that for sure. It'll be very strange to see it when it drops on Netflix, though, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's kind of an, uh, an odd way. It's sort of an art, arty way of telling it, of, of a, producing a documentary, right? 
All right. Um, so I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you, where do they find you? You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. All right. And Jaime, if people want to find you? I'm on Twitter as at the dev of the hair. All right. My name is Dimitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And so until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash Spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Okay, now you guys can talk about sport. Did you? Oh, I just want to. <laughs> did you hear about the the movie that got pulled out of the film festival? The the Joker. Oh, yeah, movie? yeah, yeah. Was it Joker? Because yeah, all I heard today was it got pulled. It, the director had no permission from Warner Brothers or Disney to use any of the Marvel characters. No, it was DC. Yeah, it was. Right? It was uh, the DC characters. DC, yeah. Okay. So somebody had done like a parody that imagined the Joker as a queer woman and. It got through one screening, and then I guess at that screening, people were like, oh, it is like a parody of the Joker from DC Comics. And so then the Warner Brothers lawyers swooped in and were like, nope. And so they canceled all, all future screenings. And But I saw a comment from the director who said uh, they still think that it's going to be able to be shown outside of the film festival. They just have to sort out the some of the litigation and cease and desist and everything else it's called the people's joker uh, okay hmm there's an article on collider yeah, about you never it know you never know yeah i mean there's some really interesting movies i want to see but i'm i, I mean here's my tiff tiff rant every year it's very difficult to get tickets for the toronto i'm a member of the of TIFF. yeah huh? oh you're right you're absolutely right it's always hard to get tickets well so back in back in you know like five ten years ago you had to go stand in line for hours and hours and hours on end um, the last time I saw movies at the, at TIFF, I saw Par- like I saw Parasite at TIFF, for example, mm-hmm. um, and I just lucked into that ticket. Like it was like you know, people's choice, show up, stand in line for a couple of hours, and and get in to see this movie kind of thing. Um, when I when I went to get my, so we were we were able to buy TIFF tickets as members three or four days before they go on sale to the public, right? I mean, you can buy gala, like you can pay like, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars and get like a gala ticket, which like gets you into the big, you know, premieres with the nice gowns and you know, high flute and stars in the major, you know, venues. I'm not that much of a booby buff that I want to pay that kind of money. But, um, you know, I just want to, as a TIFF member, have a chance to buy some mm-hmm. tickets. So they went on sale about three days before the festival started, just after we got back from Ireland. I went and and they're being sold through Ticketmaster this year. They I think they were sold by through Ticketmaster the year before. But and, and the website and the way to buy them is has always been super dodgy. 
Anyway, so I went onto the site, you know, signed in, got in line to buy the ticket. And so in the, you know how a ticket master does this thing where you get into line and you, you kind of wait for your turn oh, to yeah. buy a ticket. Yeah. I was 5,000 people behind. Oh. So I had to sit for, I, I mean, I was doing other things, but like basically had my phone open on the page for a gotta be four or five hours oh my goodness. waiting for my, my number to come up. Right. And by the time I got in there, everything was sold out. Imagine that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and then I just happened to be scanning my email on on Monday, and I got an email from Tiff saying, "Here's what's happening today." And oh, hey, there's been some some tickets been made available. Just you know, jump on and and I managed to get in like you know, I don't know, it was like first thing in the morning, so I got in like pretty quickly, sat in a line for a bit, but you know, within like twenty minutes or so, I I was you know able to look at the, the movies, and so I started scrolling through all of the movies that I wanted. To, I wanted to see Moon Age Daydream. I wanted to see. Sarah Polly's movie. I wanted to see. Um, I, I did manage to get a ticket actually on that first day to see the the movie about opportunity. You know the the Mars rover, yeah, yeah. But which is which is made out of all the footage that they that the thing shot for twelve years. Um, and so, but yeah. So anyway, so like uh, you know, I wanted to see the new Knives Out sequel. Um, there's a few movies that for sure I wanted to see. And anyway, so I just stumbled across this, this Moon Age Daydream thing, and it was at Cineplex. And I think what it must have happened was they must reserve a bunch of seats for media, because it was right at the very back of the theater, right? And um, there were like 10 tickets available. So I just grabbed one, you know, back row in the corner, so I wouldn't be exposed to a bunch of people and whatever. And and then I'd forgotten how big the, the screen in the Cineplex is. It's huge. I mean... I took a picture and put it on Twitter, and because the director came out and talked before the the show, um, we it, you know again we you go to TIFF, you know you get a I have a seat I'm I have my assigned seat like you do in in you know in modern movies these days you know where where you're going to be sitting right we get into the uh, going towards Ontario Place you know how they have those two big bridges across yep. the water to the Cineplex yep. halfway all across the bridge I had to line up to get into the theater <laughs> yeah. And stand there for a good half an hour. Like, you know, the show started at 9.30. We didn't get into the theater till like 10 to 10, mm. right? And then I thought, well, you know, I'm starving by that time. So I wanted to go get a bag of popcorn. So I'm standing in the line for the popcorn thing. And, they, and there were like 30 people waiting for popcorn. And there's only like a couple of people working the counter. Thankfully, the director decided to speak before the movie, mm. you know? So we all managed to get our snacks. And he was still talking by the time I sat in my seat. And then, and then he also talked at the end of the movie too, but... But yeah, the movie didn't start till like 10, even like we, even though it was supposed to start at 9.30, right? So that's kind of like, TIFF is kind of like one of those things where you never know how, when this film is going to screen or when it's going to end or whatever. And they don't clear the theater out until the director says, okay, I'm done. That's all I got to say. Yeah, right? yeah. Huh. Yeah. So anyway, and I keep looking at, I, I, you know, I always went to a movie today, <laughs> but, but they were sold out. Yeah. So I have a, I have a ticket to see uh, the opportunity to movie on Saturday and I might, you know, then I might try and get into one of the last movies because on Saturday and Sunday they do the People's Choice Award and the you know Ed, the um, the uh, Writers Award and all that kind of stuff and and sometimes they release seats for those. Yeah, and anyway, that's my rant about TIFF. No, I, I I don't think you're I don't think you're renting on deaf ears. I think everybody who uh, tries to get tickets and deal with the uh, the challenges, although you know it does make you appreciate how lucky we are, like you know, to have such an important festival here in the city. Like it's an opportunity to see stuff that. Otherwise, you wouldn't, and to see it on the big screen, which yeah. normally you wouldn't either. Like, I'm looking forward to the new Knives Out yeah. movie too, but it's probably going to be on Netflix in December, right? Well, it turns out the Moon Age Daydream opens tomorrow at oh. Cineplex. Like, it's like 
it's like even though it was at this film film festival, I could just wait until wait until. Mind you, I wouldn't be able to get a ticket for tomorrow because because then all the Bowie fans are going to jump on it, right? So, but yeah, but you're right. I mean, like like um, I mean, I saw Knives Out. Um, at, what's the the movie about the platform? I think it's called the platform. It's a Spanish movie. Oh yeah, the one you told where, us about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really amazing movie. That I don't think that that never played in a theater here in North America that I know of. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think it went right to Netflix. Yep. Right when it came out. So. Speaking of Netflix, I uh, my once I finally recovered a little bit of my clarity of mind, uh, Sherry and I finally watched the last few episodes of Ozark, so we're we're finally done. Oh yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So I'm not allowed to talk about it here because uh, number one fan says if I spoil anything for him, he'll uh, he'll come for me in my sleep. But it was um, yeah. it was an an interesting final season for sure. So what do you about think about the scene where the Santa Claus comes and you know rides the horse? <laughs> That was my favorite of all the scenes. <laughs> and the beheading. Oh, my God. My the beheading favorite, scene. Favorite. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the funny thing, the, the thing about it is, is like the, the first episode right, where he's walking, he's, he's, he's pissed off. He's going to go give them a piece of his mind, his partner, a piece of his mind. And he's walking towards the building yeah. and all of a sudden splat. Yeah. 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 You know, at that point, you're like, I'm sold. Yeah, well, and then he turns on his heel and gets back in his car. Yeah. It's it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a good series. Although it's um, yeah, it's kind of a weird um, it's kind of a weird series. It it certainly doesn't have the traditional moral message that uh, even things like Breaking Bad and and some of those other series have. It's it was an interesting way to conclude the series for sure. We can talk about that on the uh, not not on the episode, but yeah. But it's totally it's totally like the the character uh, the Michael Corleone. You know, just when you think you're oh yeah yeah absolutely. The plan, the whole plan, the whole show is like, you yeah, know, okay, all we okay, have to okay. do is this, yeah. all, just got to do this one more thing yep. and then we're all free and clear. Yep. Right? <laughs> well, and family over everything, right? Family over everything. Yeah, right. Yep. Hi, May. Are your Mariners going to uh, outpace our, our beloved Blue Jays? What's what's going on? I don't know. Our, our magic number is 15, I think, where, you know, every win we have decrements that number and every loss by a close competitor decrements that number. So I have for the last several weeks been watching very closely the Rays, the Jays, and the Orioles and hoping mm-hmm. that they all somehow lose. Um, well, this was your dream. We had five games between the Rays and the Blue Jays and it ended up being 3-2 Blue Jays. So that was like best case scenario for Mariners fans. Yeah. Yeah. It really, I, 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 I just want to be in the playoffs. There's, yeah, same. Uh, there's, there's people who are, you know, becoming of legal age who were wee babes the last time the Mariners were in the playoffs. So I don't really care if we're the first, second, or third wild card spot. I just want to be in the playoffs. Yep. Yep. No, I think it's, uh, I, you know, I'm, I, I, this year, between all the other stuff I had going on and also just the general sort of apathy towards baseball and the length of the season, I, I did not pay a ton of attention over the course of the season. I told myself, like, just ignore it until September. Uh, but it's been an entertaining September. Again, we've been lucky to have a, a an exciting young team to follow along with and uh, in the little playoff run, especially considering that the Yankees kind of ran away with the, uh, the AL East over the course of the summer, at least it's been kind of competitive to the end here with the, the Blue Jays and the Rays and the Orioles all still in the mix and in the same division. It's kind of fun. Makes you realize how darn bad the AL Central is though. And I gotta be honest, the AL West, you guys are kind of, you're, you're, you're the second best team in a division with three horrible teams. Yeah, there was a a monstrosity period of 
there's a short period of time there where I entertained hopes that we might somehow catch the Astros, and they they started drifting away. So we're like 14 games behind on them. Yeah. So wild card has been our only option for like two months. Yeah. But I think that Astros team's in for a hard surprise when the playoffs come around because the ALS teams of AL East teams have been murdering each other all season long and it's so competitive. Whereas they've been feasting on the A's and the Angels and the Rangers all season. I don't think they're mm-hmm. like they have the best record in the AL, but they're not the best team in the AL at all. I Playoff think. baseball, it's it's so different. You don't you really only need like two good pitchers and <laughs> which yep. completely changes your your uh, your strategy. Um, yeah. So, and as luck would have it, the Mariners have the Blue Jays' best pitcher from last year. Yeah, we've uh, we've we've found a weird way to to win. Of like, let's just hit some home runs and grind it out with our with our pitchers, which is um, yeah, you know, nice to see at least some semblance of balance. So we'll we'll hold out hope for that. Um, yeah. Hmm. Well, here's hoping even at least that first little wild card stretch will be fun. I mean. I think I'll be disappointed if in the end we end up with Houston versus New York in the AL uh, championship series yet again, but uh, hopefully we'll get at least a little fun before that starts. Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, the Dodgers will win everything anyways. <laughs> They're looking pretty good. They're just sitting at uh, 98 wins, 44 yeah. losses. That's, that's, that's real nice. Yeah. That's real not nice. bad. They're they're If they had actually put an effort into the season, they, they could have gone for that, that, Mariners record like they they're stacked I uh, I work for a company that is headquartered in Missouri so there's a lots of Cardinals fans and oh yeah a lot of folks wearing the, the Cardinals uh, uh, baseball cap so I'm, I'm well aware that they're doing well as well <laughs> I'll bet <laughs> I'll bet yeah yeah I uh my other favorite my, my favorite National League team is, has been for a long time the Cincinnati Reds because they're the smallest market and the oldest team. And I always found that really an interesting, uh, just at this little tiny town, all things being equal in the, in the bottom of Ohio, right on the border of Kentucky, somehow has a baseball team that's existed for 150 years. Um, so I've grown over the years to have a healthy disdain for the St. Louis Cardinals, because they are basically the Yankees to the, to the uh, you know, the Blue Jays have always felt like they just don't have the money to compete with the Yankees and the Red Sox. And same thing with St. Louis just buys and buys and buys and buys and the Reds have to draft and pray. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've always had a little, little bit of hatred in my heart for the, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. There's weird stuff like that in sports, like for, you know, sticking in baseball. It's like if you're if you're an elite, you know, you're a Yankees fan. But if you're a real, real person, you're a Mets fan, similar to the New York Giants and the New York Jets, where, you know, again, if you're like Jerry Seinfeld, you're probably a a New York Giants fan, but if you're, you know, not one of the main characters, you're like a real person, you're a Jets fan, like you, you end up with like a whole identity around the, the underdog nature, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I don't know if this is like this in, uh, in Tirana kind of area, but here in Washington state, the two, um, state college football teams are university of Washington is here in the Seattle yep. area. And Washington State University, which is over in Pullman on the other side, and it has that same kind of split. I rarely know that somebody I'm talking to went to University of Washington, but I know every single person who has gone to Washington State because <laughs> they wear that on their sleeves as the smaller, smaller, less successful uh, uh, college football uh, yep. school. So they they are like hardcore about it. 
Yeah. I used to have a colleague who, uh, he used to call himself somebody who roots for the overdog, not the underdog, the overdog. So he was a Yankees, Montreal Canadiens, uh, Green Bay Packers. I can't even remember who his basketball team was. Maybe the Lakers or the Celtic. Basically, his like four favorite major North American sports teams were like all the winningest teams in all the sports. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, why would you why would you root for a team that's ever going to lose? You want to root for a team that's going to win all the time. I was like, I guess I appreciate the logic, but that's got to take some of the fun out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a person who's like bend the knee as, as soon as yeah. it becomes obvious that somebody else is going to take the throne. <laughs> yeah, like you know, I for one welcome our ant overlords. You know, like just, it just mm-hmm. yeah, not 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 what you really want in a uh, in a sports experience. Again, for, for as a Toronto fan, as a hard suffering Maple Leafs fan. Uh, you know, part of it is the hope and the and the joy that that winning after losing for so long will bring. Again, I've been lucky enough to watch our baseball club win a couple of World Series, to watch our our basketball club win an NBA championship. I'm not sure I'll live long enough to see us win a hockey championship, but who knows? But uh, just having gone through all the ups and downs to have those high moments, this was so sweet. If my my team was like, yeah, we just bought everyone else's best player and we win all the time. I just don't know that you'd have that same experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it, uh, it can be rough when a fan base is deluding itself into like some sort of entitlement of like, oh, they should they should sack the coach or manager or whomever because they only got us to the championship game. We haven't won in several yeah. years. It's like, whoa, whoa, buddy, roll slowly, roll. A lot of teams have never been to the big game, much less won, and yeah. so you. You you got to enjoy it while you can, you know, you, you get a victory, you just savor that. And yeah, if you, sure. you don't, you would say, hey, you know, maybe next year, always next year. <laughs> well, nice. I'm like a Maple Leafs fan. I imagine nobody in Seattle at all is talking about the uh, Kraken until the Seahawks season ends. Although be- there isn't going to be much talk about the Seahawks this season, I'm thinking. Although that first first week win must have been very, very sweet. People were pretty satisfied to watch the Broncos <laughs> implode through no no fault of Russell Wilson. Um, it's strange one, but yeah, it, it's really all about the Mariners right now because we haven't tasted the playoffs yep. in such a long time that people are, you know, they they they're, they're feeling it. And so I, uh, I I look forward to that because it's you know I've said on this show probably several times there. They're the bad news bears without the happy ending kind of <laughs> it's like losing in the losing in the championship game man i wonder what that tastes like you know like let's do that um we haven't had that so uh, looking looking forward to that yeah. especially because it looks kind of a down year for the, the sounders uh, the seahawks yeah maybe we'll be okay the the crack yeah, I, I have nowhere to go but up <laughs> I wouldn't put any money on the Seahawks to be much of a much of a thing this year. It seems like they kind of cleared the house a little bit, but uh, yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what the uh, response is because obviously there's that whole excitement of the first year. You're like, oh, we got a hockey team, cool, and then by the time you get to year two and three, people are like, oh wait, we still have a hockey team. Mm-hmm. That being said, you guys got the best player in the in the amateur draft, so that could be kind of exciting. Um, you know, the the draft turned out really well. Um, just because everybody else in front of you made bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully that works out. Yeah, the um, I'm trying to remember what the kid's name was. I um, in here somewhere. Oh, NHL.com. You suck. Oh, here we go. 
Yeah, what's his name? Shane Wright. That's the one. He played here in Ontario for his, his uh, junior years. Shane Wright. Everyone thought Shane Wright was going to be like the number one pick for years. Like since he was like 13, everybody thought he was going to be the first pick. He's from Burlington, which is the city, city two cities over from us here. And uh, he played his junior um, in Ontario as well. And everyone thinks he's going to be like amazing. And uh, I can't understand why, but he ended up falling down the draft to number four. And Seattle was like, okay. So I think you guys have got a, a good young prospect right there. I hope so. Because now I'm starting to wonder if people knew something that there was like, you know, a basement with dead hookers or piled up or something that uh, nobody else <laughs> did, you ever, did you ever see the the kevin costner movie draft day the, the football one no i never did never did see that one it's actually it's 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 not good but it's not bad as far as a sports movie goes because he basically plays the gm of the cleveland browns and it's about like what his draft day is like the deal making the conversations all that kind of stuff so if you like sort of how this how the sausage is made it's it's kind of funny and fun uh but there's basically this consensus number one quarterback. Everybody thinks it's going to go number one. They think he's going to want this guy. Everybody wants this guy. And then at one point, one of the, the team that has the first overall pick passes on him and takes somebody else. And all of a sudden, everybody at number two and three and four, everyone's like, well, if they didn't want him, why didn't they want him? So everybody starts passing him over. And it's, it's nothing to do with this kid. It's all just that like, well, what do they know that we don't know? And I think like sometimes that's how, uh, you know, general managers and, and sports teams run their businesses. They just assume somebody else knows something. So they follow the pack as opposed to following their their better judgment. And then you end up with these players like Luka Doncic going like fourth overall in the draft. And you're like, how is that guy fourth? Like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've not seen that one, but, you know, I, I liked Moneyball for the behind the scenes oh, yeah, same thing. Of, of how things yeah. go. Like, so I might enjoy that one, too. Yeah. Again, it's it's there's a nonsensical love plot and some a couple of weird subplots and stuff like that. There's a, also we were joking about the the Game of Thrones fast travel. At one point, the owner of the Browns flies from New York to Cleveland in like an hour, um, which is interesting. But um, but uh, yeah, again, it's just it's fun to sort of see the sort of you know the backroom dealings, the way these guys talk to each other and all that stuff. And there's all kinds of fun cameos and stuff like that. Um, some of the characters in there and. Lots of lots of funny moments. So yeah, it's again, it's not high art, but it's it's if you're a sports buff, it's, it's worth a watch. Okay, right. see you next All week, right. guys. Thanks, Bye. guys. Later. Okay, bye. Bye.